Hello and welcome into Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. Thank you for watching us on the We the Patriots USA Rumble channel and Red Voice Media, and for listening on New Hampshire Family Radio, WLMW 90.7 FM, Manchester, New Hampshire, KKVV Radio in Las Vegas, Real Talk 93.3, The Voice of Freedom in St. Louis, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like us on your station, email us at Taryn at WeThePatriotsUSA.org. Welcome in to another special edition of Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. All month long, we are featuring the full-length interviews of the families, experts, and whistleblowers featured in our film, Shot Dead. These stand alone as very powerful, but they are even more powerful, all put together in this, this film. I was humbled to direct and produce it alongside um, some very special friends of mine who also lost their job during the pandemic to vaccine discrimination. And, you know, us losing our jobs was nothing like the families featured in this, the, the parents that have lost their children and their babies to this shot. And I know Dr. Peter McCullough would um, concur. You know, he's been also persecuted for taking his stance and for speaking out and for just trying to seek the truth, really. And we, um, you know, during our We the Patriots USA National Conference this summer that featured the likes of Charlie Kirk, Jenna Ellis, Lee Dundas, Abby Johnson, uh, Steve Dace, the the powerhouse list goes on and on. Um, Dr. Ryan Cole and Dr. Peter McCullough was also there speaking and presenting we had a chance to sit down with him and, and shoot this interview for the documentary. He ahead of time looked over the autopsies of the families for us. Um, he presented some information that I didn't even know. I, I've been following this story uh, very closely. I've been reporting on it. I've been doing investigative research and work and um, looking at Pfizer documents and FOIA documents and you name it, but I still learned so much. And it was an, um, it was really a pleasure to to get to meet him in person and. I've done a lot of work with him remotely, but actually getting to meet him in person, he um, really is very impressive. And he is a, a leader in, um, in this truth-seeking movement and the medical freedom movement for a reason, because he is um, a very uh, humble, a very caring, compassionate, and intelligent person. And so I'm looking forward to you hearing our full-length interview with Dr. Peter McCall for our full-length feature film, Shot Dead, that you can see at shotdead.org. This episode is brought to you by The Carnivore Bar, providing a fuel source for ancestral carnivore, paleo, and keto eaters who value their on-the-go autonomy without sacrificing quality nutrition. For 10% off, use code WeThePatriots at carnivorebar.com. That's WeThePatriots with an S at carnivorebar.com for 10% off. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist in the Dallas, Texas area. 
and uh, went to undergraduate at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, and then the University of Texas Southwestern School of Medicine in Dallas. From there, I went on to the University of Washington in Seattle, trained in internal medicine. I did three years of uh, rural health service uh, in, in that, was relieved of student loans in the third year of that. I attended the University of Michigan School of Public Health and was trained in epidemiology and did my cardiology fellowship at what's now the Oakland University William Beaumont School of Medicine. I've held various leadership positions in academic cardiology throughout my career, including uh, being the uh, chief of cardiology at the University of Missouri in Kansas City, uh, the chief academic and scientific officer for the St. John Providence Health System, the largest health system in the um, Ascension Health uh, Ministry nationwide. Last 10 years of my life, I've been focused in Dallas, Texas, uh, in the second half or the twilight of my career, both on clinical practice, scholarship, and uh, over time, I've become a public figure in medicine. I'm witnessing in my practice today a tsunami of cardiovascular issues, uh, and they include myocarditis or heart damage, inflammation of the heart, progression of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, meaning more rapid development of blockages, heart attacks, strokes, strokes coming in the variety of intracranial hemorrhage and ischemic stroke, heart arrhythmias, atrial fibrillation, uh, a, a bothersome problem called POTS, posterior orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, where the heart beat uh, is not beating in concert with the demands for the body, and so an excessive heart rate at times it doesn't need it, uh, dizziness, passing out, and then most importantly, probably the most deadly condition of all for cardiovascular disease, blood clots. Blood clots occurring in virtually every scenario we possibly could imagine, arterial and venous systems, blood clots that are larger that we've ever seen in clinical medicine and that are resistant to the use of blood thinners, which normally allow the body's own fibrinolytic system to dissolve the blood clots. So in summary, uh, what the last three years have brought to cardiology has been almost a career's worth of work of individuals across an age spectrum with new cardiovascular problems. In the first year of the pandemic, uh, we had only the virus uh, as the issue at hand. We were combating it with early treatment the best we could in the hospital. There were no vaccines in the first year of the pandemic. So there, there was simply was nothing else to, uh, to attribute this explosion of cardiovascular disease to other than SARS-CoV-2, the chimeric virus, which we now learned was engineered because of human research on bat coronaviruses. And SARS-CoV-2 indeed, based on the peer-reviewed literature, promotes cardiovascular disease. All the elements that I've just outlined uh, can be caused by SARS-CoV-2 infection. Now, importantly, the risks with the infection are time limited. And an important paper by Z and colleagues, XIE, from the US Veterans Administration System demonstrated that after serious COVID-19, of which um, a U.S. veteran would be hospitalized, there is a risk period for heart attacks, strokes, other cardiovascular events. It's about six weeks. So six weeks after an infection, that's the risk period of which the infection itself could provoke, provoke a cardiovascular event. 
Starting in late 2020, December 10th of 2020 and beyond, the introduction of the COVID-19 vaccines occurred and the COVID-19 vaccines now opened up a whole new, even more intensive epoch of time where the installation of the genetic code for the disease-promoting SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, that genetic code was installed into the human body of those who took the vaccines, resulting in an uncontrolled duration and quantity of production of the spike protein, no ability for the body's uh, nasal pharyngeal immune system to battle it because it's injected in the arm. And from that point forward, we have seen a skyrocketing of cardiovascular events. And again, I'll outline myocarditis or heart inflammation of which all the regulatory agencies agree the vaccines cause myocarditis. Uh, there are over 200 peer-reviewed literature papers on both fatal and non-fatal myocarditis. Acceleration of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, heart attacks uh, and ischemic strokes, blood clots, uh, blood clots occurring in, in the arteries, uh, the veins, uh, blood clots in a whole variety of uh, scenarios. And then very importantly, bleeding disorders. We now have bleeding clotting disorders with the vaccine. One of them is called vaccine-induced thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpurea. And that results in catastrophic clotting and bleeding in the body, many times intracranial hemorrhage. Sadly, a large fraction of VITT cases are fatal. And then finally, a really brutal inflammatory process called multi-system inflammatory disease. Again, a sizable proportion are disabling, uh, resulting in disability and death. We see individuals now long-term in wheelchairs, tracheostomy tubes, massively uh, disabled, all due to vaccine-induced injury syndromes. During the first year of the pandemic, there was no vaccine. So we only had the virus uh, as the issue at hand. Thank you for watching this special edition of Faithful Freedom with Taryn Grayson featuring the full-length interview with Dr. Peter McCullough that we did for our featured film, Shot Dead, that you can view at shotdead.org. This is an amazing interview, but it's even more amazing to hear from these families and to, to understand the, the information that he's talking about and how it fits into the true, real, raw, heartbreaking tragic events that these families went through when their children died after receiving the COVID shot. So stay tuned for more from Dr. Peter McCullough. But first, I want to talk to you about the wellness company, which Dr. Peter McCullough helped to form with a group of doctors uh, that lost their jobs over uh, speaking up during the pandemic. And, you know, most people really don't trust their healthcare right now. That's why they have made the wellness company. And in fact, over 40% of Americans say that they would avoid a doctor or a hospital unless it was a catastrophic situation. So part of that change that Dr. Peter McCullough and other doctors are trying to usher in is helping you to take control of your health and supporting you through whatever next thing gets thrown your way. So that's where their medical emergency kits come in. Eight potentially life-saving medications for you to keep on hand in times of need. Natural disasters, supply chain shortages, medical emergency. The kit has uh, 
emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics also includes a comprehensive guidebook so you never have to guess how much to take or when to take it. If you're like me and you want to make sure your family's prepared for the next unexpected, go to twc.health/wtpusa and use code WTPUSA to save 10% at checkout. That's twc.health/wtpusa, code WTPUSA for 10% off. Welcome back into a special Shot Dead edition of Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson featuring the full length interview with Dr. Peter McCullough, who is featured in our film Shot Dead at shotdead.org. I encourage you hear about the families that he's speaking about in this interview, hear from them directly in this film. Um, but for now, this is just a wonderful interview with Dr. Peter McCullough. What do we learn about SARS-CoV-2 infection alone, unconfounded by the vaccine? We learned that severe cases resulting in hospitalization commonly would have a protracted post-viral syndrome that's called long hauler syndrome, long COVID or post-COVID syndrome. It's also called a post-acute sequelae syndrome, a variety of synonyms for that. And uh, this general condition, once we've ruled out serious problems like a blood clot, stroke, heart attack, myocarditis, et cetera, basically was the constellation of fatigue, brain fog, loss of taste and smell, hair loss, skin loss, muscle loss, people typically lost weight, what's called a small fiber neuropathy, numbness and tingling in the hands. That was what we call long COVID, post-COVID, uh, long hauler syndrome. And it was clearly related to the intensity and the duration of illness and largely among hospitalized individuals. Now, over time, it did uh, go away and characteristically goes away. But in my experience, it can be amplified by additional exposures of the spike protein. That could be another SARS-CoV-2 infection. Once the Omicron variant uh, basically became the predominant variant, Omicron broke through natural immunity. And so while natural immunity is roughly 60% protective against any subsequent infection, those who did develop an Omicron infection on top of a prior infection could indeed have a post-COVID or long COVID syndrome. The work of Bruce Patterson uh, was critical in having us understand this. Uh, what we learned is after a severe case of COVID, vaccines not involved, after a severe case of COVID, the, S2, the S1 segment of the spike protein could be found in human monocytes for up to 15 months after having COVID-19. That's as long as they've looked. We know the symptoms lasted for a long period of time. A key autopsy study done by the National Institutes of Health by Chertow and colleagues found that the virus was alive in the human body and replicating for months afterwards in people who ultimately succumbed after having COVID-19. In the Chertow NIH autopsy study, some patients died within a few weeks of, of the illness. Some died months afterwards, but uniformly, the virus was in the body and alive replicating at a low level. So putting together the findings of Patterson and Chertow, we know that SARS-CoV-2 infection is like some other infections. It has a long lasting effect in the body and that is the genesis of long hauler syndrome. The intensity and duration of the initial infection and subsequent exposures. Now enter the vaccines. 
So when, remember in 2020, there were no vaccines. So we had COVID and then we had the emerging data on the long hauler syndrome. Starting in 2021, we had COVID-19 vaccines. The COVID-19 vaccines, and largely in the United States, they are genetic vaccines of, of the Americans took vaccines. 94% took messenger RNA vaccines. These are brand new genetic technologies that install the genetic code for the engineered Wuhan Institute of Virology spike protein. And the spike protein itself, we know damages tissues, organs, causes blood clotting. In fact, we know the spike protein itself is lethal. So the vaccines were, in a sense, the installation of a genetic code for a potentially lethal protein. This is the first time in human medicine this was ever done. It sounds like a bad idea. It is a bad idea. And because the vaccines never stopped COVID, they never stopped transmission of COVID, they never reduced the severity of COVID, now people who had already had COVID were taking the vaccines and getting more COVID. Some people took the vaccines first, and because they don't work, they got COVID. And so this became a situation of multiple exposures. Now the majority of people emerging with vaccine injury syndromes, emerging with post-COVID uh, acute sequelae syndromes, have both exposures. They've actually both, they've had both COVID and the vaccines. In some countries where COVID was late in its arrival, the, the prototype country is Australia, where the virus was late in arrival to Australia, virtually everyone was pre-vaccinated. In Australia, 95% of the population took COVID-19 vaccines, and then they subsequently got COVID. And what we witnessed there was actually worse outcomes. The illness was more severe, the post-COVID syndromes are more severe, and of course, the vaccine injury syndromes are amplified because people are getting multiple exposures. Now, clinically, it's making it very difficult to sort out what is the infection alone. We can only determine that in the 2020 cases. And then in 2021 forward, what is both the vaccine alone or the vaccine with the illness. And we have to do testing. We have to test for antibodies against the spike protein, against the nucleocapsid, do a careful clinical history. But I can tell you the majority of the literature in 2021 forward is mixed. It is studying populations who've been exposed to both SARS-CoV-2 infection and the vaccines. The tsunami of misery, of acute respiratory infection, hospitalization, post-acute sequelae syndrome, sadly, death with the illness. And now the wave of vaccine injuries, disabilities, and deaths has been crushing in terms of human despair. It has been overwhelming in terms of misery. And it has changed the course of people's lives. And I've emerged as a public figure. I've been very open with the world and open professionally to help as many people as I can. And I've said publicly, if I've helped one person, the last uh, years of my life have been very worthwhile. And I think fortunately with the advent of uh, multidrug therapy to treat the syndromes, now advancements we're making in injury syndromes, we have helped hundreds of millions of individuals. 
Thank you for tuning into the special edition of Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, featuring a full-length interview with Dr. Peter McCullough that was featured and is featured in our new film, Shot Dead, which you can view at shotdead.org for free, on demand. His interview is powerful, but I'm telling you, hearing from the families that have been affected by this, that lost their children and their babies to this, it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's devastating. And it's much needed. You need to see this. You need to share it with people. Shotdead.org. Today's case spotlight, We the Patriots USA vows to hold COVID shot manufacturers liable for fraud in EUA applications. On October 23rd, just days before the completion of this film, We the Patriots USA broke the news that it intends to file litigation against Pfizer for its failure to disclose the presence of contaminants in the shots to the regulatory authorities or the public in seeking emergency use authorization. Ernest Ramirez, the Martins, they have already agreed to be plaintiffs in that litigation. These families featured in our documentary, Shot Dead. We are asking for your help to stand up for these children and so many others who have been shot dead. Join the fight to get justice for the victims by making a donation at wethepatriotsusa.org. Welcome back into a special edition of Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, featuring the full-length interview of Dr. Peter McCullough, who is in our new film documentary, Shot Dead, which you can view at shotdead.org. Here's Dr. Peter McCullough. As we sit here today, we are looking at billions of people, billions worldwide, who have been exposed to the virus or the vaccine or both. Now, even if a small fraction of those individuals have a complication, a side effect, or a residual syndrome, that percentage, even no matter how small, is a huge number of individuals. So I've done the best of, uh, that I can in my ability, fulfilled my Hippocratic Oath to, above all, do no harm and to help as many people as I possibly can. In my book, Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalizations and Deaths While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex, I teamed up with best-selling true crime author, screenplay writer, John Leake, who's a philosopher and a historian, and in a gripping true crime story with a beginning, a middle, and an end, we describe the early phase of the pandemic. And as myself and individuals all over the world who we carefully interviewed, as well as patients and their families we interviewed, as we were able to treat the illness and reliably prevent hospitalization and death, instead of being celebrated, instead of being assisted in generalizing our advances to helping the world, we were crushed. We were crushed by government censor censorship, with uh, a variety of um, actions that undermined our ability to treat patients. We were impeded in delivering therapy to large numbers of at-risk individuals. And I believe it was intentional because it happened all over the world and it was simultaneous. The efforts that we describe in the book by the biopharmaceutical complex, and I should define this. The biopharmaceutical complex is at the top, we believe the World Economic Forum, 
the World Health Organization, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Wellcome Trust, CEPI, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness and Innovation, founded by Gates Foundation and uh, the World Economic Forum. Of course, the Gates Foundation itself, Gavi, CEPI, UNITE, the EcoHealth Alliance, an NGO that's actually was involved in the design and the uh, engineering of SARS-CoV-2. The regulatory agencies, the United States, we have the HHS, uh, the CDC, NIH, FDA, UK, MHRA, TGA in Australia, EMA in Europe. They are working in a syndicate. They are working as a biopharmaceutical complex with one objective, and that is mass vaccination, a needle in every arm. CEPI, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness and Innovation, say it the best. They say there will be a series of pandemics and there will be only one response each time, mass vaccination. CEPI has outlined it in their business plan. We've carefully noted this in our book, but we believe in the end, it's a crime. The suppression of early treatment was intentional to promote fear, suffering, hospitalization, and death. For the first time, this complex through government agencies promoted suffering, hospitalization, and death of its own people in order to prepare the population for va mass vaccination. It's a crime. We believe two crimes were committed. First is fraud, that the public was defrauded. They weren't told the truth about the virus. They were intentionally deceived. They were told the virus was unassailable. They were told all kinds of actions would slow the spread. They had no hope of slowing the spread, including masking, social distancing, lockdowns. And they were told that there was a safe and effective vaccine. All those are forms of fraud. The second crime is mass negligent homicide because people died unnecessarily being denied early treatment. And in the second epoch of the pandemic, they died unnecessarily due to COVID-19 vaccination. The vignette of young Ernesto Ramirez, uh, the son of a single parent father, a hardworking man, Hispanic, Southern Texas. This vignette highlights so many aspects of COVID-19 vaccine-induced death. It's extraordinary. The father, rightfully so, is skeptical about the safety of the vaccines. So the father himself takes the vaccine to test whether or not in his mind it's safe. He takes the vaccine, basically nothing happens. He determines that it's safe. And so, you know, following government guidelines, following school advice, following the entire hubris, he has his son go out and take a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, within a few days, while playing basketball, his son collapses and dies. The father does the right thing. He pushes and gets an autopsy, and I was uh, fortunate to review the autopsy report. And in my interpretation, I have considerable experience in cardiac pathology and examination of hearts at the time of death. I believe the autopsy is conclusive for the cause of death being COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis. And what we know is the messenger RNA of the vaccines, and in fact, he took a messenger RNA vaccine, installs the genetic code for the lethal Wuhan spike protein. The spike protein has been found in the human heart 
It causes inflammation. It causes tissue destruction. And it sets up a zone of abnormal conduction. This is very important. The heart muscle should get homogeneous con conduction. When there's heterogeneous conduction, when there is actually variations in conduction, electricity, instead of smoothly depolarizing the heart and causing a cardiac contraction, it actually can go through a, a zone of slow conduction and then come backwards, find the tissue ready to receive another stimulus, and then the electricity circles around the area of inflammation. Later on, that can become a scar. But in the case of uh, young Ramirez, what we learned is that the heart was swollen. Uh, invariably, if they would have done the tissue stains, it would have stained positively for the Wuhan spike protein. Invariably, there was zones of uh, heterogeneous conduction. And in the setting of myocarditis, before COVID, our guidelines say they can never exercise. If there's myocarditis or heart inflammation, there can be no exercise because the surge of adrenaline can stimulate the electricity to begin to have this abnormal conduction through the area of injury and circle back around. That's called a reentrant arrhythmia, ventricular tachycardia. Ventricular tachycardia is very fast. And in a young man like this, it could be tolerated for maybe a minute or so or less. It, it basically degenerates into ventricular fibrillation, which is a near flatline rhythm. And unless promptly shocked at the VT or VF stage, it's over with. And the death ultimately is a flatline death, a VT, VF, a asystolic death. It's considered a sudden arrhythmic death, a cardiac arrest directly related to COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis. And since his case, there have been a multitude of similar cases of death that's occurred after COVID-19 vaccination that likely is fatal myocarditis. So importantly, the first case of fatal myocarditis was reported by Verma and colleagues in 2021 uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine after COVID-19 vaccination. Then a case was reported by Choi and colleagues in Korea. Uh, a young man uh, takes the vaccine and uh, you know, has several days of chest pain. That's a sign that myocarditis was occurring. And he, he finally checks into a Korean hospital. He survives about seven hours in the hospital. So he actually has his cardiac arrest in the hospital. He has full resuscitation done and he's not salvageable. He dies in the hospital. Uh, that Choi case, his heart was destroyed with inflammation, destroyed. So the heart is swollen, uh, has considerable, the histopathologic analysis shows considerable destruction. And I think the most troubling case was a paper published by Gill and colleagues, Archives of Pathology, one of the best pathologic journals. Two boys, aged 16 and 17 in Connecticut, the mothers are horrified because they, because they found the boys dead in their beds at home. They had just taken the Pfizer vaccine, second shot. They were on days three and four, separately, found dead. The mothers do the right thing. They request the medical examiner do an autopsy. They do an autopsy. The medical examiner's never seen this before, so he calls in pathology experts from the University of Michigan and University of Minnesota. They actually review all the data and they agree these cases are fatal Pfizer vaccine-induced myocarditis. So the experts agree. 
Now, the interesting thing about that vignette is that it's during sleep. Ramirez, remember, he was exercising. So it turns out there are two periods of time where the human body gets a surge of adrenaline. One is during exercise. People know that because they can feel the, um, the adrenaline. The, uh, the, there are three circulating catecholamines, dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine, the surge of those. But the other time where there's a surge of catecholamines is in the waking cycle between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. We actually get a natural surge of adrenaline. That's what wakes us up. And that's what happened with those two boys. So the conclusion, and the Gill paper points this out, is they think that there is this superimposed surge of catecholamines. So people have asked, well, if this happens, how come it doesn't happen to everyone? And that's what we're trying to study. We're doing careful research, following the literature very carefully. And there are some leads in helping us understand why there are, fortunately, a small number of people, but sadly, they develop myocarditis and they lose their lives unnecessarily. Thank you for tuning in to this special Shot Dead edition of Faithful Freedom. You can hear Dr. Peter McCullough and what's even more powerful, the families that lost their children to the shot. In our new film, Shot Dead, you can view it for free on demand at shotdead.org. We will be back in just a moment. Is all of this information wanting you to dive further into this? Well, you can go to TarynGregson.com, sign up for our newsletter, and get our free aluminum, which are in all of these vaccines, HPV, MMR, and fluoride resource guides. Those will be sent directly to your inbox as soon as you sign up for our free newsletter. And um, we just love to have this community going because we feature resources in there for you, resources that you can also see in our website, like the vaccine exemptions by state. You can go on there, download the PDF, click on which state you live in, and you can get the exemption information that you need, whether religious, philosophical, what have you, for your child and check it out, TarynGregson.com today. Welcome back into our final segment of today's special edition of Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, featuring the full-length interview with Dr. Peter McCullough that airs in our, in our film, Shot Dead, uh, which you can view at shotdead.org. It is powerful. This interview is powerful. It's even more powerful when you hear it with the families featured in our film. Here's Dr. Peter McCullough. The medical community should be completely transparent and forthright with respect to all information and data surrounding vaccine-induced death because we must learn from this about why are young people dying after COVID-19 vaccination. The parents should have full access to laboratories, EKGs, cardiac studies, autopsy results. In fact, the parents are the legally authorized representatives. They are legally entitled to information. No doctor's office, hospital, or medical examiner can withhold information from a patient or a legally authorized representative. It is their information. They must demand it. They must legally press for it because that information could help shape their views, potentially save others. The CDC has an advisory panel that advises nationally advises our country on what vaccines children should take. It's called ACIP, A-C-I-P. And in an unprecedented and shocking move, ACIP approved 
the messenger RNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, to be installed into the childhood vaccine schedule. Now, all the prior vaccines had to go through development, full FDA licensure, approval, testing, and they had to have, at the time they were introduced, they had to have some medical necessity, clinical indication, and have some track record on safety uh, and efficacy to ever even get put on the vaccine schedule. But the COVID-19 vaccines were not fully FDA approved, not licensed. They're under emergency use authorization. Their genetic mechanism of action would be the first genetic shot that would, a child would ever receive. There was no assurances on short or long-term safety. In fact, the childhood studies relied on antibodies, surrogate endpoints, what's called immunobridging studies, and the diagnostic division of the FDA advised doctors to not rely on antibodies as an indicator of immunity. Yet the FDA vaccine division relied on antibodies as endpoints in clinical trials. The children, uh, by the time the vaccines were advanced towards children, we knew that, that the vaccines caused myocarditis. The FDA had already had meetings in June of 2021, declared the vaccines caused myocarditis. The peak age we found out was 18 to 24, but there was a tale of myocarditis that occurred clearly in the teenage years. Uh, there was an important paper published by Tracy Hogue at UC Davis demonstrating that you know, a teenager, if they took a shot, would be more likely to be hospitalized with myocarditis than they would of COVID-19. And then as time went on, the children all got through the illness. So as we sit here today, the vast majority, if not the entire complement of children in the United States, have already had COVID-19. So the vaccines, as ASIP sat down to decide about COVID-19 vaccine in children, there was no medical necessity, there was no clinical indication, safety had not been characterized at all, short or long term, and there was no demonstration of efficacy. No trial has, with the COVID-19 vaccines in child, children or adults has shown a reduction in hospitalization and death where that endpoint was positioned as a proper primary or secondary endpoint. It's never been shown in a randomized trial. The average child gets four to eight head colds a year. COVID-19 would just be another head cold for that child. Now, there could be exceptions. There may be a child with a congenital uh, diaphragmatic hernia, lung disease, cystic fibrosis, where um, if a vaccine was safe and effective, it could have played a role. But what ASIP did in an unprecedented fashion is they installed the Pfizer and Moderna messenger RNA vaccines at pediatric dosing all the way down to age six months old. And they put it on the routine schedule. Now the routine schedule in many states must be followed for a child to attend school, uh, must, be, uh, uh, must be followed for, um, for other reasons. And uh, now this pitted parents with this idea of a novel genetic vaccine with no assurances that it's safe, no medical necessity, no clinical indication, uh, uh, no demonstrated efficacy, parents were pitted with this decision. So uh, a recent Kaiser Family Foundation survey demonstrated parents are backing away from the entire childhood schedule completely saying, listen, if they're going to install this in the schedule, if this is the same group 
that use their judgment to install the other vaccines on the schedule. And the vaccine, the, the committee, by the way, voted unanimously that these should be on the schedule. If this is the same committee, their judgment is being questioned for all the other vaccines. And I can tell you as a practicing doctor, I previously never questioned the vaccines. I never did. I took the vaccines uh, as a child that were on the schedule for me, but I can tell you at, at my age and at time of birth, um, I took the oral polio vaccine, that's one. The diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis vaccines separately, that's three more. And then smallpox, five vaccines, five. A child today with this ACIP schedule, which continues to build, nothing drops off it, just more shots are added. A child today, before COVID, faced 72 injections, 16 different diseases, and now with COVID, it's 17 diseases, and now over 100 shots, and more keep get getting added. Respiratory syncytial virus just approved. So now my evaluation of the vaccine schedule is twofold. One, what's medically necessary. Two, what's clinically indicated. And now the side effects can't be evaluated shot by shot, but they have to be evaluated as a bundle because the children receive a bundle of shots combined. And what we're learning there is that the ACIP panel, just like they did with the COVID-19 vaccines, they've actually had a blind eye towards safety of the original childhood schedules. Very important, a blind eye to safety. There's never been a prospective double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial to evaluate safety of individual vaccines. They've been assembled into bundles. And now we've seen disturbing trends. Geyer and Geyer, for instance, published well over a decade, the multiplicity of vaccines just actually assembling diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, and ultimately went to acellular pertussis in a single shot. There was clearly a risk of febrile seizures and death with that combination shot. Now, these cases, albeit low frequency, do add up when the entire population has to take it. Remember, even the rarest side effect, the rarest side effect is meaningful when a therapy or a vaccine is applied, is applied to a giant population. So the rarity of a side effect doesn't make anyone more secure because so many people are taking it. So we have to look at raw safety numbers. And I would argue one child dying of any vaccine, for that child, clearly it wasn't worth it. For that family, clearly it was a giant mistake. And we have to look at, as, a, as a population as a whole that if death is possible, which it is clearly possible after the uh, uh, agents on the routine schedule, we must have risk mitigation that is steps in place to make sure it doesn't happen again. And two, we must have freedom, unfettered freedom of parental choice in taking a vaccine. This is a really critical element. If death is an outcome, a parent must, with no pressure, coercion, or threat of reprisal, must be able to choose whether to administer a vaccine or not administer a vaccine when death has been a reported side effect of any routine vaccine. And I'm telling you, it's been reported for the vaccines 
in the routine vaccine schedule, and it's even worse with multiplicity of vaccines, when the vaccines are bundled together. Well, thank you so much for tuning into this or any of our other uh, special edition episodes this month in November of Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. All month long, we are showing you the full-length interviews. So much fell on the cutting room floor when we put together this documentary, Shot Dead. And we wanted you to see these interviews as standalones because they're powerful, but they're even more powerful put together in our film, Shot Dead at shotdead.org. The biggest way you can support this film is by sharing it with others. Shotdead.org is the link for you to view it for free today and to send it around on social media, on email, your text messaging, whatever. Share it, please, with your friends. Um, it is the information that everyone deserves and should have gotten prior to the mandates rolling out. Thank you so much for viewing today's special edition episode. If you enjoy our content, prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible donation at wethepatriotsusa.org so we can continue to power the education arm of our mission that also extends to work to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. God bless and thank you from everyone here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. We the Patriots USA does not endorse or recommend any product or service advertised on this program. We the Patriots USA is not a healthcare provider and cannot provide medical advice or treatment.